I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles, I hope you have your Bible with you, to that passage that's just been taught. We're looking at Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14 in your Bible. Jesus at a Pharisee's house. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to sit to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Though there in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he, that is Jesus, healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on a Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked up the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters or relatives, your originators. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Shall I pray? <clears throat> Father God, speak to us today. You are the, the speaking God. You are the God who has a voice. Um, you, have a, you are a God who's always spoken by his word. We thank you by your word um, you created. By your Holy Spirit, your word is written down. And we pray now, Lord, uh, pleading with you that by your Holy Spirit, you will not only um, speak to our hearts this morning about what you want us to hear, but you will, by that same Spirit, give us the same, uh, give us strength and determination um, and courage to do what you ask us to do. There's nothing complicated about this passage except doing it. And so we ask you, Father God, to change our hearts even as we hear you speak this morning. We ask you a supernatural work amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, what could be more gently encouraging, I thought, uh, when we started this series and spending some time, uh, <coughs> excuse me, e eavesdropping on, on Jesus as he sits around the meal table, um, sometimes with friends and, and sometimes with enemies. What could, be, what could be more sweet? What could be a nice, gentle introduction to, to Easter? Well, as it turns out, the answer is quite a lot. We've been challenged. It's very challenging stuff, Jesus sitting down with these people. We've been challenged over who we're prepared to be seen with. Being, uh, Jesus accepts being the guest of honour at the um, Collaborators Convention, doesn't he? We've been challenged on the costliness of our worship. Uh, the lady comes in, the woman washes Jesus' feet with her hair. She comes prepared um, with, uh, with perfume. She comes prepared to worship. 
Um, we've been challenged to see Jesus as the bread that meets our spiritual need when he feeds the 5,000. Uh, we have a spiritual need, not just a physical need. Been challenged as to whether we're really making listening to Jesus a priority in our lives by Mary and Martha. And today I have to say uh, the hits keep coming. If anything, I think the challenges to Jesus' Pharisee host in this reading they get, uh, they seem to intensify as the meal goes on. So first he challenges their view of the Sabbath. Um, then he challenges them on their lack of humility. Then he challenges them on who they invite around. And then there's a final challenge, um, a cut to the heart, but we'll come back to that later on. So, but he starts with the Sabbath. So Jesus has already um, challenged his countrymen on their understanding of the Sabbath before. So in Luke 6, um, some of Jesus' disciples were picking ears of corn, rubbing them between their hands and, and eating them. Um, and the Pharisees um, complained that that was unlawful, that that was work. And Jesus responded on that occasion by saying that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And in a sense, he's saying, how can you query whether what is lawful on the Sabbath uh, when the creator of the Sabbath is, is here amongst you? Um, and on another occasion, it's again in Luke 6, Jesus healed a man with a shriveled hand. The Pharisees again had been looking for a way to get Jesus into trouble. Maybe that's why the man was there in the synagogue on that occasion. And Jesus asked them on that occasion, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Um, and he healed the man. So, yes, the Sabbath is about rest from, from work, but it is lawful, Jesus said, on that occasion to do good on the Sabbath. And then again, Luke 13, um, Jesus heals a woman who has been cruelly bent over. She's been crippled for 18 years um, and, and he heals her. And the Pharisees say this. Listen to this. This is amazing. They say there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or your donkey from the storm and, and let it out to give water? Then shouldn't this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And his opponents were humiliated, but the people around were delighted. <coughs> I don't think they really minded seeing the Pharisees taken down a step or two. So the Pharisees should know by now, um, on, on this occasion, how Jesus will act. But it doesn't. And if anything, what Jesus walks into today looks like it's a deliberate trap. It's possible that the man may have uh, invited himself. Uh, meals tended to be open rather than closed. There was an open door policy. But in, in all likelihood, it seems that uh, he's there as a way to, to watch Jesus. Um, it says that they're looking out, they're watching lurkingly um, to see what Jesus will do. Interestingly, Jesus knows that because the passage says he replied to them, even though they hadn't said anything. And he turns the tables and, and he takes the initiative and he asks them a couple of questions. And the first one is, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And I guess they want to say no, but if they say no, uh, they look like hypocrites. They contradict. Um, and if they say if they say yes, then they've contradicted their own law. So they're, they're kind of stuck. They're in a no-win situation. What in this situation, Jesus heals him and sends him on his way. Uh, this man is not entirely the center of attention. It's, it's what's happening in the, in the hearts of the Pharisees. And then Jesus asks them a question which is really similar to the Luke 13 one, but, but slightly different. One who has a child 
a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, wouldn't you pull it out? If they say, no, of course I wouldn't, then they just look stupid because of course they would. But if they say, yes, I would, then they contradict themselves. So Jesus has turned the tables uh, as he so often does and, and, and set his own trap for them. But where does that leave us with the Sabbath? What do we learn? Well, I think the first important thing is that Sabbath is not a rule so that you can feel like a, a righteous uh, Pharisee. The Sabbath is not there um, so that you can come to church on, on a Sunday, um, which is our Sabbath, and go home again and say, I have done my religious duty for this week. That is all that's needed. Uh, Sabbath, Sunday, is not a box-ticking exercise. It's a time for rest. The Pharisees have that right. It is a time, it is a time to, to rest from work. And that's fundamental. Because otherwise, if you continue to work, if you go back today and think, oh, I'll just do a bit of work um, from your earning, your earning work, then you start to think that you have control over your income. And you lose sight of the fact that you have a job by God's grace and you continue to have a job by God's grace. And what you earn is actually ultimately a gift from God. So it's, it's, it's really important that we stop work. Um, on, on the Sabbath. Learn from the rest of the New Testament that um, the Sabbath became, rather than the Jewish Saturday, uh, a Sunday, and it's a time to, to meet with God's people. That's the pattern uh, in, in the New Testament. And the Sabbath is designed to be something, something of a blessing. It's designed to be um, restorative. So Jesus said in that Luke 6 passage that we referred to, the Sabbath is made for man not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is there um, for your blessing, for your good, for your enjoyment. It is not uh, something for you to be squeezed in that you don't really want to do. So the Sabbath is, is not a law in the sense of something that you do um, to earn righteousness. It is, as we put it in the terms of our last series, it's covenant uh, obedience. Not something you do to earn righteousness. It's something you you do to channel God's blessings your way. It's like the tap that you turn on um, to receive the blessings that God wants to give you. If it's a chore, then something's gone wrong in your heart, and you need to go back to the Lord and ask Him um, to diagnose and, and do some heart heart surgery. Jesus makes an, an important new dimension to the Sabbath today. The Sabbath can be used for for good works. And the, the, um, the writers of Statements of Faith in the past, they recognised that, um, that Sabbath is a time for, for works of mercy. And we've seen, I think, one of the, one of the great ones amongst us is Bill on his bike. Is he, the, you see, I think the Pharisees would say, you've gone more than a Sabbath day journey. You've worked, you've been on your bike, but of course it's not wrong. It's, a, it's an act of mercy. Uh, it's an act of um, service um, to other people. And it is entirely right and proper, and it is... Uh, uh, it is a beautiful uh, uh, work for the Lord. But we lucky folk have two-day weekends most of the time. So Saturday is, is a great day uh, for recreation. But on Sunday, stop working. Prioritise worshipping. Worshipping. And think about serving others. 
Now about homework on a Sunday afternoon, I don't know what to say because as a kid, I did all my homework on a Sunday afternoon. I tried to do all my homework on a Sunday afternoon. I mean that literally because if somebody set homework in the week that had to be done in the week, I tended not to do it. I was not a great, I was a bit of a naughty boy. Um, but I wonder again whether that's really the right thing to do. I think that's a question to be asked if you're a student. Is, is that the best way or can you in a sense um, set apart some, some time for the Lord? But Jesus is not finished. Um, noticing how uh, the guests uh, pick their places at the table, he, he takes uh, another tack. Um, so in that time, the most honoured guests um, sat nearest the host. So he would sit at the head of the table and there might have been a table in a, in a U-shape or our guests going down the sides of the table um, and the most honoured guests sat nearest the host. Um, and the difficulty was that it was also the prerogative of the most honoured guests to arrive later on. And the Pharisees were seeing how far up the table they could get nearest to the host. So Jesus tells a, a parable, that's what Luke calls it, but if it's a parable, it's a pretty direct one. Uh, he said, if you go to a wedding or, or a formal dinner, he says, don't try and sit as near to the top table as you can. Because someone else more important might have been invited. It's their prerogative to arrive later, to arrive later. And you might be put in the uh, humiliating position of being asked to sit further down. He says, rather put yourself um, at, the, at the bottom of the table. And then when the hosts arrive, and it was his prerogative to arrive last, um, he can invite you um, to, to come up the table and, and receive greater honour. It sounds initially like advice, doesn't it, for just social etiquette, but it's not because Jesus um, tacks this phrase on the end. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I say for those Bible scholars around you, so Mark and others, this is for you. This is what's called in the Bible a divine passive. Uh, it says those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted, but um, it's understood that that humbling and exalting is by God himself. Now, this is a rule. This is just like a law, like Ohm's law or Boyle's law or, or, or one of those uh, laws of science. Um, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted by God. Our God loves humility. Our God loves humility. This is the way he's made his world to work. Um, but also this is where his eye is. He sees arrogance uh, and he hates it. And he sees humility and he loves it. And his plan is to exalt those who humble themselves and, and, and he will humble those who are, are, um, who are arrogant. And I think this is a really important law. I find this a really important law uh, in my Christian life. And that might mean I'm just, that, that my particular sin is, is that I'm kind of um, susceptible um, to a particular kind of pride. Like a lot of people who, who come out of a background of having low self-esteem, they kind of go the other way uh, and have pride. But actually, I think it probably goes to all of us. I imagine that you have someone or some group of people in the back of your mind 
who you pull to the front of your mind when you're feeling small so you can feel superior to them. I'm quite good at this. And I discovered and realized the other day that for me, it was EFCC pastors. Oh dear. Um, I was thinking as I went to committee meetings, well, I'm, I'm more up to date um, and therefore I'm more clever and I'm, and I'm superior to all these other guys who are stuck in the past. And I had a horrible moment of realizing that is not true. And that is not how God sees it. And it is a, a moment of, of pride that God hates. So I want to suggest a, a, a practical uh, a practical exercise for you. I've, I've tried this and I think it's quite, uh, I think it's significantly changing. I want you to practice humbling yourself in, in your mind's eye. So I want you to be alive to this as, as you go through this week. Who is it that you look at and you say, well, I'm cleverer than that? Or you say, oh, I'm prettier than that? Or, or whatever it might be. And instead, just work through your circles and uh, all the circles of your life and say and humble yourself before them. By that, I mean, you, you picture them in your mind's eye and you say, I humble myself before this person. That is, I don't consider myself better or more important than these people. In other words, I humble myself, I put myself on the same level. I consider myself no more important than, and I would say, try this, my husband or my wife, my children even. I'm not clever or more important than my children, my, my church family. Maybe there are people in church you struggle with or you think people in church, I, I don't know, for whatever reason you, you, you struggle with, well, you, you need to spend a little bit of time to think, consider myself no more important than that person. I humble myself before that person. Try it with colleagues at work. Try it when you think about people of low status, the people you see on the news. Say, well, I humble myself because I'm no more important. It might be people of a different political persuasion. It might be people of another race. I want you to try it because I reckon the further you go and the more humble, the more humble you will become and the more you will be blessed. The Lord practically blesses humility. It says it repeatedly in the Bible, God opposes the proud but gives grace um, to, to the humble. So if there are aspects of pride in your life, you, you block the good things coming to you. You turn off the tap through which God wants to, to bless you. Um, and blessings become such a non-word, but, but I think the Bible says gives grace. God wants to give grace to you. He wants to make things go well to you. He wants to be good to you. Things in life which are beyond your control, he wants to, he wants to make them fall well to you. But if you're proud, he pulls back. You don't need to exalt yourself anyway, because you are God's child. Jesus is not ashamed 
to be your brother and the Holy Spirit dwells within you and he has not abhorred you, but he's seen fit to come in you and to be your helper. So you can say this to yourself too. I'm God's child. Jesus is my brother. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And if you need encouragement in this, then you go to Philippians. Uh, Philippians 2, it's a passage uh, we all know well. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of your others. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who in being very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And therefore, the other half of that says, God exalted him to the highest place. If that is how God treats Jesus, that is how God treats you those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and jesus has one more short lesson for them he says uh, when it's your turn to host uh, the meal he says um do something radical he says we aren't called to be hospitable to one another as christians um, so when we get the chance, I'm sure you will want to have some church members and friends and family around the home. But do more than that. This is an amazing thing Jesus says. When you give a lunch or a dinner, do not invite. Do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed. God will do good things for you, practical good things. So we're to show hospitality. It's not wrong, is it, then, to have um, our brothers and sisters in Christ and our family around our homes? But here is, but that is a kind of hospitality which, uh, which is good, and it's good for fellowship, and it's good for family. But there's a kind of, but we get repaid because it, uh, because it, it feeds us as much as it feeds the other person. There's a kind of hospitality um, which God will repay with blessing. In other words, he will make things go well for you in this life and you will be repaid at the resurrection. In other words, when you get to glory, it will be better than it might have been. So I want to read you a little bit more. I think one of the reasons the, the Pharisees are struggling to think like Jesus is possibly because they're not part of God's kingdom. They're not part of Jesus' kingdom. It's impossible to think and act like a Christian uh, when you're not a Christian. And inadvertently, one of the uh, guests sets the stage for Jesus um, to make this point when he says this. So one of, the, one, of, one of those at the table with him heard this, said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the, in the kingdom of God. Um, 
Jesus has been talking about hospitality. Maybe this is kind of a, a change of subject, or maybe it's kind of, <laughs> that's good. Um, but actually, we'll all be blessed, won't we, at the end, um, when we eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, when we, when we get to heaven, when we get to God's um, new creation. And Jesus replied, listen to this. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd be invited, come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. Uh, I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, oh, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. Um, I'm on the way to try them out. Um, please excuse me. And still another said, oh, I've just got married. I can't come. And the servant came back and reported to his master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, well, your order has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. I think the meaning is pretty clear, isn't it? The banquet holder is, is the Lord, it's God. The invitees are the people of Israel. Or maybe Jesus is just referring to, to the Pharisees at this point in time. They think they're invited to this banquet. The banquet is eternal salvation. They have RSVP to say they're coming. They claim to be God's people. Now the servant has come to tell them that everything is prepared. That was the custom. You were invited. And then when, when everything is ready, a servant will be sent out, sent out say, come on. Now's the time. And Jesus is that servant. And he's sitting out to a meal with them and effectively saying, come on, now is the time to, to come to the meal. Salvation is, is here and now. But the invitees in, in are making excuses. And these Pharisees are making excuses, which is this man can't be of God because he heals on the Sabbath day. I bought a field, I bought five pairs of oxen, I've just got married. It's profoundly, profoundly rude. It's insulting, it's, it's, it's dishonouring. The Pharisees are rejecting Jesus, who has just in front of them demonstrated um, the kingdom of God is present. That God himself is there uh, amongst them. Because he's healed them out. The kingdom has come. It's right there on the table in front of them. And, they, and they're making excuses. So understandably, the banquet holder is, is angry. This is God. And he extends the invitation um, out wider. He, he tells them to go into, quickly into the alleys of the town. I think that could, you could, that's the rest of Israel, I think. If the first invitees were the Pharisees, then this is go out to the rest of, of Israel. Um, invite, them, invite them in. And the servant comes back and says, that's happened, but, the, but there's, still, there's still more room. Go out further. These religious people think they're too good. Then, then go out beyond the town. Um, go out into the, um, to the roads. And literally the word is the hedges. <laughs> go around the edges of all the fields and, and gather people in. The invitation to the banquet is extended um, to Gentiles. It's extended to uh, the crippled, the poor, the blind, the naked. People who the Pharisees... Um, would have thought to be unclean and unfit. 
the banquet is going to go ahead regardless just because original invitees turn it down does not mean god is going to cancel and he's not going to rearrange he's going to say you're going to be on the outside some are too proud to come it's going to be filled with the humble and if those who think they're, they're too clever or don't need it won't come in then god will go out into the edges and the margins of society and bring people in and i think that's true it reflects in some ways the uh, the state of our country at this point in time that largely it's the it's the white white british folk who think i've heard this and actually this christianity is old hat and it's rubbish and i'm not coming in and it's people in the edges in the edges it, it, actually it's the very poor and actually it's the very rich ironically um, and it's people uh, from other races and it's asylum seekers who are coming into the kingdom of God. That is where the church growth is at this moment uh, in the UK. So there's a lot for us to think about in, in this passage. But I want you to think about that point. Um, are you struggling to do these things? Are you struggling to say, Sabbath, that's too hard, it's a chore. Sunday's humility, I can't get my head around that. I, I, I'm, I, I so struggle with my self-esteem, I need to feel a bit more important than other people. Are you struggling with hospitality? Well, these are different aspects of, of covenant obedience. It's not law in the sense that something you do to make yourself right with God it is covenant obedience. It's what you do to enjoy the blessings of God and to walk with him and to be like with him. But if you're struggling, you have to ask the question, have you never accepted the invitation to the banquet? These are things that only spirit-filled people can and will do. Have you received the spirit of God into your life? At that moment of repentance and confession and trusting Christ, what he's done on the cross and making him Lord. And have you received the, the, the spirit into your life? Well, maybe you've misunderstood the Lord, or even once you've done that, that the Lord expects, uh, expects a covenant obedience, he expects a change to occur. And the Holy Spirit is there to make it, uh, make it workable, to make it real and to make it doable. He's, the Lord gives you all the resources you need uh, to achieve this, but it still needs your cooperation. It still needs your decision to say, yes, this is what I'm going to do. Let me go back a moment. <clears throat> So it's a little bit like you think, well, I, you look at a, somebody says, I want you to build a swimming pool and he gives you a shovel and you just think it can't be done and I can't even start. Well, the Lord comes along and he kind of, uh, he gives you a, a JCB. It says, now it's possible. You have the power, you have the strength, but you have to get in and it's still up to you to pull the controls and to actually put it into action. That's a little bit like Christian obedience. You've been given the Holy Spirit, you've been given the power tools, but you still have to make the decision um, and enact the obedience. So our Sundays are sure. Then I want you to check because your heart and your mouth are potentially doing different things. That's not unusual in the Christian life. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can cure it? Um, our hearts are quite often going in different directions than the rest of us, but that's an opportunity then to say, what is my heart doing? How can I bring that before the Lord? Um, 
and ask him, ask him to change it. And actually, when you know the Lord, when you love the Lord, and when like um, the woman who, who came to him, she knew she'd been forgiven a lot. When you know how much you've been forgiven, then, then Sunday's not a chore. Are you not feeling blessed? Well, then I think you have to test. I, I find this. I have to go back to that word God opposes the proud that gives grace to the humble. Are things just not quite going right today? Um, I have to go back and say, is, 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 there, is there pride in my life? It's God opposing you because there's some aspect of pride. You just, maybe you think you've got it all under control. Um, I invite you then, if that's you, to turn it around. Start practicing that humility and see what happens those things that we want that are beyond our control our husbands and wives coming to the lord our kids knowing the lord um, those people to stop uh, kicking us around or oppressing us or whatever it might be god doesn't always put things right but it's part of the reason that things are not going right because there's pride in your life god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble it's fundamental are you struggling with radical hospitality? Well, I think most of us would struggle with hospitality like that. We don't see many people doing that. Well, then maybe the first point is to come to God and say, oh, I'm sorry that that is not me. And actually, to be honest, that never crossed my mind. Well, it's good that we're the forgiven people of God, isn't it? It's good that our covenant depends on Jesus' obedience, not ours. It's good that we came into this covenant by trusting Christ and what he'd done, a perfect life. Um, laid down um, and a death on the cross that's good news isn't it so we can always come to God and we can always say I'm oh, sorry I haven't done this so please Lord change my heart by your spirit are you acting as Jesus agent in invitation are you giving people the option to to hear the good news when those opportunities come up and I wonder whether we can be courageous Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, doesn't he? And maybe if the fruit is not in those people around you, is there a way we can get into the margins? Can you get somehow to those other kinds of people, those people who are on the edge of society? Is there some way we can do that and see if the response is different? It's a challenge. But maybe we need to be courageous. I guess that ties up with the last question. Are we asking the wrong people? Is there too little fruit because we're not reaching into the margins um, where God is at work? Well, I think it's time to think radical thoughts, and we'll come back to you with some thoughts about buildings in, in due course. Um, but it's time uh, to say, Lord, we haven't done this. Lord, who are those people? And I'll ask you this question. Who are the people that the Lord is laying on your heart? Um, to reach and, and to serve, not just to reach with the gospel, just to serve practically. Who has God laid on your heart? Is there a, is there a, is there a feeling out there? Is there, is there a, um, is the spirit of God at work out there? And you thought, oh, I've always wished we could do something for X, Y, this kind of people, that kind of people. And we want to know, we want to find a way together of reaching those people for the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, so many challenges in this in this passage. Thank you that you're at work. 
thank you that you're in the business of changing hearts. We saw it in uh, our series on the covenant that you, uh, you change our hearts of stone to a heart of flesh. And we confess that in some of these places, we've just been a bit stony. Just not even thought of inviting people around who we don't know. Just written that off as unrealistic. But we know your what you prize as covenant Lord is to make our stony hearts, hearts of flesh. Please do that. Please be at work. We know that you do that by your spirit. Please, Holy Spirit, where we have offended you as the presence of God amongst us by our hard-heartedness, just by our writing off of certain groups of people, by our lack of humility, please forgive us on the basis of the work of Christ. And please, Holy Spirit, work amongst us in new ways, changing our hearts. We want you to do what God has promised to his word, that you will uh, make us, you will move us to keep God's law. You'll change our hearts to want to do um, what God wants to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.